running joke is Gary's got about eight to ten sermons, and that's the truth. I repackage those sermons. I rebrand those sermons. I change the wording of those sermons. But I'm a pretty simple preacher. I, I preach on, man, living the life that God wants you to live. I preach on no matter how bad you screwed up, God can use you again. I, I, I preach on chasing your dreams and seizing the moment. That's just kind of my mindset. It's kind of who I am. But every once in a while, God comes along and lays something on my heart that's so thick that I have to add to the encyclopedia or the one single encyclopedia of sermons that I have. So you have to bear with me through this series. It's way outside of my comfort zone. It's way outside of my knowledge level, if you will. And we've been covering some topics that um, I'm not completely familiar with. So I've been breaking them down, doing a lot of studying. I'm excited about them. Feedback from last week's message was outstanding. But today we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this subject. And bear with me. I'm going to try to keep those cookies on the bottom shelf. That's where I like them to be. I want to ask you a question before we start. I wonder how many of you today would be honest and admit for the most part In general, we live pretty good lives. Raise your hand, keep them up. I want to see, I want to see. Overall, our life is pretty good. Awesome, you put your hand down. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand on this because you'll do what most people do in church on Sunday and you'll simply lie when I ask this question. But I want you to answer to your mind. I want you to answer yourself. Though our lives overall are pretty good, Dang good, as it looked like 100% of you raised your hands. You still find yourself complaining about your life. Wish I had a different job. Wish I had more money in the bank. Wish I had a better car. This is not how I would have chosen my life. Though my life overall is pretty good, the reality is the large majority of us still on a regular basis find ourselves complaining about something. I mean, think about it. I don't know anybody now in this church, you never know, because I mean, that's kind of a big part of our church is the homeless. But for the most part, I think it's safe to say that everybody here has a place to live. I don't see anybody here naked today, thank God, so I would assume that we all have clothes to wear. No offense to any of you, but it doesn't like too many of you are going hungry, preacher included. We have friendships. We might not have a lot, but probably everybody here has a couple of dollars in their pocket. We are a blessed people, yet so many of us still see life negative. We're in the second week of this series that we're calling Mindfield, and we're talking about the power of the mind. Because make no mistake about it, the mind is powerful. When God shaped us and he formed us and he created us, He gave us this central system that dictates every part of our body. And as our mind goes, therefore we go. And I gave you this statement last week. I said most of life's battles are won and lost in the mind. Most battles are won before you ever take the battlefield based on your mindset concerning that battle. There's not a one of us here today that don't have somebody, and it might be us, but there's somebody in our lives that are just simply so damn negative that we can't stand to be around them. And I'll go ahead and tell you, for the most part, the one who's more offended by the fact that I said the word damn instead of the statement normally falls in that category of the negative. Most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. What comes into our mind tends to come out into our life. 
Negative thoughts lead to a negative person. Positive thoughts lead to a positive person. Loser mindset tends to lead to people who are losing in life. Winner mindset tends to lead to people that no matter what they do, they win in life. You ever met those people that no matter what goes wrong in their life, what falls apart, they always come out on top because they have the mindset to come out on top. It's impossible, don't miss this, it's impossible to have a positive life with a negative mindset. It just can't happen. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So what this is talking about is when we think war we think physical, hand-to-hand combat. If you've been keeping up with what's going over in Russia, there's a real good chance we're about to have major issues in our world concerning war. That's how in the physical we war. He said that's, that's not what we're doing here. Though we live in this world, we as Christ followers are not waging as the world does. The weapons we fight are not a, the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. What the Bible's saying here is, is there's a battle for our mind. As our mind goes, so we go. Many times, don't miss this, as our mind goes, there our faith goes. And so the enemy loves to come along. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. The enemy can't devour everybody. He's seeking out those he can devour. And those that he knows he can devour, he can devour through their thought process, their mind. If they can convince themselves that life is bad, they will live as though life is bad. The mind is a powerful, powerful thing. I love this verse. I, I love everything about this group of verses. It lets you know that this battle is going on. But it's also letting you know we have the key to victory in that battle. We have the ability, don't miss this, we have the ability to take those thoughts and make them captive to us, enslaved to us where we are the master of those thoughts. We can take the negativity that runs so many of our lives and we can take that negativity captive and turn it positive. There's power in the mind. We have these things in our, in our mind called neural pathways. Neural pathways. The mind's amazing. These neural pathways, every time you have a thought... Every time you process something, scientists say your mind creates these pathways through it. Imagine going through the woods and you have a machete and you're carving out a path. Christine and I went hiking yesterday. Went to Bowling Park. We went hiking. There's miles upon miles of trails there. Here's the amazing thing about those trails. They're all in the woods. But where the path is, it's cleared out. It's not cleared out because a construction company came through and cleared it out. It's not cleared out because somebody came and laid cement down and concrete down and cleared it out. Those paths are cleared out because over and over and over people have walked those paths, making those paths. And these neural pathways, what happens is as we think a thought, a neural pathway is created in our mind. And the more we think that thought, the easier it is to think that thought. The more we think, man, my spouse is horrible, guess what happens to the pathway in our mind? It becomes clearer and more cleared out and more compact and becomes easier to walk on. And it's easier to think, man, I don't like my spouse. Man, I don't like my job. I can't stand my boss. Have you ever met somebody that no matter what job they take in life, their boss is an idiot? Funny, they're running a multi-million dollar company. You're not. But they're idiots. Why? Because you've opened that pathway through your mind that they're idiots. You go to the next job and the pathway's already open. They're idiots. 
the pathway on spending money on things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. Over and over and over, that pathway comes, and our thought process walks along it more and more and more. And so that's what happens with negativity. The more we're negative in life, the easier it becomes to be negative in life because we've cleared out that pathway in our brain. Are you tracking with me? These neural pathways, they're amazing as you study this. Every time you think this thought, your mind creates these pathways, these patterns, and the more you think it, the easier it becomes. And that's why when you meet a negative person, nine times out of ten, they're just over the top negative. Or have you met somebody, ever made this statement? Man, I knew they were negative. But they've just become more and more negative throughout the years. Because those pathways have got cleared out. It's easier to go down those. You ever met someone's like, man, they're just over the top positive. Because they've cleared it. It almost angers us when we meet people who are over the top positive. I don't understand why. Maybe it's conviction. You know? They've cleared out those pathways. Your mind also deals with something called cognitive bias. I told you we're getting way outside this redneck's level today. Cognitive bias. I read definition after definition this week of cognitive bias. I thought, man, how do I put this in simple terms? A very simple definition of this is, it's a mistaken reasoning based on what you've experienced or what you prefer. Don't miss this. I'm going to repeat that. Should have had that on the screen, but I didn't. It's a mistaken reasoning based on what you've experienced or what you prefer. So, so many times in our life, our mindset comes from our cognitive bias. For example, you're in a relationship early on in life, ladies. And in that relationship, you experience a very abusive man. That's horrible. No excuse for it. It shapes you. But so many people that we've met because they had a bad experience with one man 30 years ago, now they think every man is abusive. Every man is a jerk. Every man is a piece of crap. You get cheated on at one stage in your life early on, and now every man or every woman is a cheater. The cognitive bias, our reasoning of what we went through in life, now shapes our thoughts before the thoughts even happen. We filter our thoughts through our cognitive bias. I grew up with grandparents who were very hardworking people. They never had much material possessions, but they worked hard. But my grandfather was a negative man. And he used to almost look down on what he deemed successful people were. He was that guy. You ever met that guy that instead of just rejoicing and being excited for their success, he would explain it away? If I had a dad who started a company for me, I'd be successful. Well, if I'd got the breaks he'd got in life, he was shaped by that. And here's something amazing that happened to me in life. Cognitive bias. As I begin to become successful in life, check this out. This is weird. I, I wasn't ready for this. I hit a stage in the early days where I almost felt guilty over my success. Because the bias that had been put in me, the neural pathways that had been created from somebody else, made me feel guilty. I'll never forget when I bought a new car, pulled into my driveway, and the first words out of his grumpy old mouth, must be nice. Well, it was nice. I was killing myself. I, I remember exactly when it was. I was working the only job I've ever had outside of working for myself. I did it for a year. I worked for Motorola right out of high school. The Olympics were on their way to Atlanta. And I was probably working 100 hours a week 
for 11 straight months. You've heard me share the story of eating Taco Bell 267 days in a row. It's because I worked third shift. On my way to work, the only thing that was open that I passed was Taco Bell. That was back in the good old days of Taco Bell. Anybody remember the 59.79? I'm preaching now. 59.79.99 Taco Bell? I'm talking about two bean burritos, two soft tacos, and a Mountain Dew for $2.42. You say, how do you remember that? Because I did it for 267 days in a row. I was killing myself. It must be nice. It was nice. I had worked hard for that car. But I felt guilty when I got it because of his mindset. Cognitive bias comes along. The mistaken reasoning, don't miss that word mistaken, the mistaken reasoning based on what you've experienced or what you prefer. So because of what we've been through in life, we begin to filter our thoughts through that lens. Now, I know nobody in this church does this, but I want to show you how a filter works. On social media, they have these amazing things called filters. I know none of you people would take a picture and filter that picture. But you can filter almost everything, all the imperfections, all the blemishes. But for me, the three chins, it's amazing. The gray out of the beard, add more gray to it if I want to. I can do whatever I want to because the filter changes the perception of the reality. I'll never forget Christine went off with a friend one night to a concert. The picture gets posted, and I'm scrolling down my wall, and I don't even stop on the picture because the person who had taken the picture had filtered the picture so bad. I'm not even trying to be funny here. I didn't even know it was my wife. Later on, she's like, Did she text me? Did you see that picture? So and so posted. I said, Yeah. She goes, that doesn't even look like me, does it? I was like, oh, is that you? Like my wife has a long face. That's the way her facial structures in the picture it was rounded. My wife has red hair. I married my wife because she has red hair. Like my mom will tell you since I was in elementary school, I had a thing for redheaded women. I married her because she has red hair. In the picture, she was platinum blonde. I didn't even recognize her because the picture was so filtered. That's what we do with our thoughts. Based on what we tell ourselves, what we've experienced in life, we begin to filter those things through that. And what's interesting is if you change the filter, it often changes how you feel. It changes everything about it. Change the filters, change the feeling. So when we take those thoughts and we filter them through mistaken or improper mindsets, so many times it creates a negativity in us. Huh. Let's be honest. How many of you have ever filtered a picture? Go ahead, don't lie. It's okay. Go ahead, raise them up. Raise them up. Yeah. It changes everything. Change the filter, change the feel. This is why two different people can see the exact same thing happen and respond totally different to that situation because it goes through their filter. The filter of how they see it. I can give the exact same feedback to two people. I can give that feedback to one person who takes it as a positive. Man, thank you. I'm going to do better. Man, whew, I, I didn't realize I was doing that. Man, I thank you for making me aware of that. You can give that same feedback to someone else and they'll automatically become defensive. Probably that person wasn't affirmed a lot in life. And because they weren't affirmed a lot in life, that they, they have a... a disposition to always want to please, and when they take your feedback, they automatically take it negative, and they get angry about it. Instead of learning from the feedback, they get defensive. They have an answer for it. 
two different people, same situation. How do they filter what's going through their mind? Neither's wrong. It's just the way you filter it. People used to always rip on me before I kind of, I, I, for most of my adult life, I've kind of been the leader in every business I've done. But me and David Westrick had lunch this last week, and we were just talking about this. It's funny. People say, man, you could never work for somebody. It's been about 20 years since I've worked for somebody. But when I worked for somebody, I was the best employee on any staff I ever worked for. The first church I ever worked at, there was a staff of about 20 people, and I quickly moved up the ranks, and the other guys used to say, man, he loves you more. He didn't love me more. He just knew that he could rip us a new one. They'd stay mad for weeks. I'd stay mad for about 30 minutes. Men be like, ah, he's right. Let me change that. Let me fix that. But you know what? I grew up with a very affirming family. I grew up with a dad who always wanted to see the best in me. Still, text me and my wife almost every morning. I want you guys to know I love you. I'm proud of you. Man, you guys, you guys are my here, my dad. Still, grown adult, 40-something years old. And he's still affirming me. So because I grew up in an affirming house, the filter I go through, I don't get offended by that. But someone who grew up never being enough, always telling everything that they were doing wrong, automatically you would get defensive. Cognitive bias, the way we filter things through. <laughs> I got a kick this week out of watching people's reaction. Tonight's the Super Bowl. During the Super Bowl is the halftime show. The halftime show this year is Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, Eminem. Probably, no probably to it. Eminem, Dre, and Snoop. Three of the biggest recording artists in history in any type of music, whether you like rap music, hate rap music, Whatever about rap music. They're all from L.A. Not, okay, they're all, Eminem's not. They're all associated with the label that was on the West Coast. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hence why they're at the L.A. Super Bowl. It's going to be huge. Now, here's the deal. I grew up in Decula, Georgia. I grew up on Garth Brooks, Travis Tritt, Alan Jackson. One of the first concerts I ever went to was Hank Williams Jr. and Leonard Skinner. But even this white boy right here knows Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and Eminem. I ain't going to lie, I had to look up Mary J. Blige and know some of her songs. When I heard it, I knew it. Huge. They're saying it's possible for the first time in history. The halftime show will pull a higher rating than the Super Bowl. It's going to be incredible. So I ran an experiment this week on Facebook. I posted, man, the expectations for the Super Bowl are so high. No one could live up to it. But if anybody can, I would imagine Dr. Dre, Dre can make that happen immediately. I hate rap. Did I say anything about you liking rap? Why did you feel the need to state you hated something when I wasn't even, I wasn't even praising rap? I just made a statement. I won't be watching should have had Nickelback on there. <laughs> Literally every 50-plus white man, I'm just going to say it, had a negative comment. Now, here's the deal. I, I didn't grow up watching rap music or listening to rap music. My wife, I'm so excited about the halftime show. 
I, I, I'm in the event business, so I can't wait to see the production. And I can't wait to see what they have planned. And I've been, I, I, I'm so over the top. I've been Googling and getting on TikTok and reading all the things from the people because they got all these people there that had to sign all these waivers. I can't tell you what they have planned, but they've been dropping some hints. Been phone, filming stuff with their phone. I want to see, I want to know all the secrets before they happen. Christine's opposite me. She wants to see the secrets when they happen. I want to know ahead of time. But it was through the filter. Grumpy old white man who grew up on 1970s music, they're not going to like it. But instead of breathing and saying, man, it's not my thing, I still think it's going to be incredible. I'm not liking it. Like they give a rip. Through our filter. Through our filter. I like all the memes out there that says, all the teenage kids are about to find out how thug their parents can truly be when the halftime show starts. My kids are about to recognize when that thing comes on with Christine. They don't even know. Or through our filter. The filter is powerful. The filter is powerful. Look at the filters people have when it comes to going to church. Two people can walk into the church. One person can walk in with a chip on their shoulder right from the start. I'm not going to like this. All they want is my money. I hate church. Why? Because maybe they had a bad experience with church. Someone else can walk in and be like, man, that was incredible. For the first time in a long time, man, I connected with the music and I understood the sermon. See, the way we perceive something is many times the way we receive something. Let me say that again. The way we perceive it is how we receive it, and so many of us perceive everything with a negative mindset. The facts aren't different. Two different people come watch the service, they watch the exact same thing, but the filters are different. Think about it in Numbers 13, 14, right there, Moses they get ready to go into the promised land. For those of you who don't know, God promised the children of Israel this promised land. They get to the outskirts. They've got to go into victory and defeat for the promised land. So Moses sends in 12 spies. Go scout out the land. Come back with a report. 12 of them went out. 12 of them, do not miss this. 12 of the people saw the exact same thing. Yet the reports were entirely different. It wasn't the facts were different. The filters were different. Two of them came back, two of them, two of the 12. There's some kind of lesson here. Two of them came back and said, oh my gosh, this land's incredible. It's everything God said it would be. Let's go take it. 10 of them came back. From my experience, I would imagine these people were Yankees. They came back. <laughs> oh, did I say that? Ten of them came back. Ten of the twelve came back and said, this land devours people. What? How do you know that? They're like giants compared to us. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. How did they know that? Did they go interview the people? Did they go ask them? Hey, how do you, especially go to war with you, how do you perceive us? No, their filter was negative. Where two saw victory, ten saw defeat. Ten came with a negative mindset. So I think it's safe to say a sermon on negativity is important because 10 out of 12 people pretty much operate that way. Go to your friends with your big dream and your big vision. Go to 12 of them and 10 of them will tell you why it can't be done. 10 of them will tell you why it's a dumb idea. 10 of them will tell you how crazy you are. You know why? Because misery loves company. They're miserable people and they love you to be miserable because it makes them feel better about them being miserable. Oh, did I say that? But two of them, man, they'll, let's do it. Like, I had a buddy come to me with an idea this week. I said, man, that literally makes no sense at all. Let's go. He said, I thought you said, I said, it doesn't make sense. But you got me pumped up now. He's like, what if it don't work? I said, who cares? Let's go. 
the way we perceive is how we receive. Not only do we filter our thoughts, don't miss this, we frame our thoughts. The way we frame our thoughts is very important. You can be in the same situation, and how you frame it determines how you see it. We're going to learn to reframe today. I've been going to the same counselor now for about 12 years. You say, you go to a counselor? Oh, yes. It's the only way I can pastor you folks. My counseling sessions basically turn to this. I lay on the couch, and I verbally vomit for an hour. I talk bad about all of y'all because I know she can't say anything. Can't gossip about it. I'm just kidding. I don't talk bad about you. I pay her the money, I leave, and I feel better. But over the years, she's taught me the power of reframing. Reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation or relationship by changing the meaning. It's simply creating a different way of interpreting or looking at that situation. For example, you can get up out of bed in the morning, and we've all done this, and we can just say, crap, this is going to be one of those days. I don't like how the alarm woke me up today. I got to go outside and turn the car on early where the windows can defrost. Shh. Dang it, on the way in, I got to stop and get gas. I didn't stop this weekend and get gas. Now I got to go to this job that I hate and work with people that all they do is talk and whisper and gossip. Man, this is just going to be a horrible day. And guess what's going to happen? It's going to be a horrible day. Or you can reframe it. When that alarm goes off, you can be like, whoo! Glad I got to live another day. Oh, man. I gotta go out there and turn the car on. Sure am thankful I got a car to turn on. Man, I sure am thankful that car's got heat. Because I don't know about you, but I've had some cars with no heat before. Y'all don't know about that kind of broke. I've had some cars that it didn't matter what I did. There wasn't no defrost coming to defrost the windows. Man, I'm so thankful. God, I got to stop and get gas today. Man, I'm so glad I got money in the account that I ain't got to go in there and put three ninety nine dollars on because that won't get you nowhere today. Let's go in there and fill it up. Man, I am so thankful I got a job to go to. Because of that job I get to go to, I got to wake up in a warm bed this morning. And I got to go out and turn my car on this morning. Because of this job, man, I'm so thankful that when I stopped to get gas today, I wasn't stressed about it. I know, yeah, the people here at work drive me crazy sometimes, but let's just be honest, they're good folks. I mean, they do anything in the world for me. Same situation, but it's how you reframe it. You choose how your mind works. You do not miss this. You choose the thoughts. Now, The first thought might be negative because of the filter you run through, but you can immediately change. The Bible says we can take those thoughts captive. Reframing is so powerful. We can change the situation by that. Two scenarios. One gets up in a bad mindset, one gets up in a positive mindset. (laughs) Back to the Super Bowl, same way. Man, you can frame it as, I'm just not going to like it. That's not music. Your parents said the same thing about the music you grew up listening to. Wherever someone's line is in music, I told you last week, my daughter, my son will listen to some music. I'm like, what did they just say? Don't listen to that kind of what? But last week we was in the house. And I told you, I, I used this story last week, but it's that good. I, some song rotated on from the 90s rap song. I can't remember what it was. 
Fresh Prince of Bel Air, so I don't know what it was. I went to Pandora and typed on my 90s rap list. Pandora's 90s rap list, because I ain't really got a 90s rap list, so it was their rap list. First song was good, man. I, I remember it was Ice Ice Baby. And then, man, it went into, you know, High Stepper. And, 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 I, I, white Boy, I feel it, man. We cooking in the kitchen. Thing was good fun. They say he's just a friend, but you say, I'm Bismarck, it was good. About that fifth song, Two Live Crew transitioned on. I loved Two Live Crew back in the day. At 47 or something years old, I forgot how dirty Two Live Crew was. Music today. No, no, music back then. Music back then was just as dirty. Hey, by the way, go back and listen. I know only Doug's this old, but go back and listen to some of that music. That Chuck Berry, that James Brown, that Elvis. They was a little slicker in how they worded it. The innuendo was there, nonstop. It's always been dirty. <laughs> but we frame it, it's got worse. But it's worse today. Shut up. God, shut up. You're just old. Golly, man. People just getting tore up because of how they frame stuff. What I want to do is I want to slow down just for a moment. I want to think about your life right now. I want you to think about the expectations you have in your mind right now. Maybe in life right now, you thought at this time in life, you'd be here in life. You grew up thinking, man, I just want to marry that perfect person. I want to meet him and I want to fall in love and we're going to get married and we're going to have kids and we're going to buy a house and we're going to build a white picket fence out there. You dreamed about having this is exactly what you wanted. You prepared for it. You prayed for it. You married your sweetheart. Now, you're miserable, or maybe your marriage is over. And now the way you're filtering thoughts and the way you're framing thoughts is keeping you from having a healthy relationship moving forward. Instead of being in a job you love now, man, you're in a job that you loathe. And you can't stand it. You get mad every morning that you get up and go to a place you hate. But it's where you are in life. It's how you filter things. Thought, I, thought, I, thought I'd be in this situation now. I thought I'd be here financially now. Man, I thought I'd be able to travel more by now. I thought I'd be making a difference by now. I'd be leading my kids to take over what I started. And you wake up, and you're not where you thought you'd be. Let me get real honest with you today. I'm 45 years old. I moved to Canton, Georgia when I was 28 years old. I had a big vision when I moved here. I was going to start one of the coolest churches in the country. It was going to be one of the fastest growing churches in the country. And everybody all over the country was going to know who I was. Don't miss this. And guess what? I did. And for five years, I preached in front of thousands of people and got on planes and flew all over the country and I taught Christian leaders all over, and, and everyone knew me. This is back when blogging was real big, and, and Outreach Magazine named my blog the third most influential blog among Christians. This is back when Twitter was just getting started, and I got named one of the top 10 Christian Twitter accounts in all the country. And then they named the top 25 Young Christian leaders under 35, and I was number seven. And I had it all. 
And never in that dream, never in thinking where I thought I would be, did I think I'd be here. I love being here, but I'm talking about then. Never thought I'd be preaching to a couple hundred people a week in the poorest part of Canton, in a run-down old grocery store, in a place that don't even have matching seats. Never did I think I'd be pastoring in a place where I don't even know if the bills get paid this month. Because the way I had it framed, I wanted to make a difference. At that time, I didn't realize that my version, don't miss this, this is good. I didn't realize that my version of making a difference and God's version of making a difference were two separate things. And God had to take me through that, which I thought was the end of the journey. And God's like, you stupid idiot. That's how my version of God talks. You stupid. He said it lovingly, though. You stupid idiot. That wasn't the end of the journey. That was the undergraduate degree part of the journey. I was getting you ready. Because you, you know what? We're talking about making a difference. I thought I wanted to make a difference. Time that I've been at this church that literally runs a tenth of what that church ran. And that's not me bashing that church. I was the leader, so I take responsibility. This church has probably fed a thousand times more people than we did when I was at that church. And it's clothed probably a thousand times more people than when I was at that church. And the people we've been able to reach because of this location were people we'd have never reached in that location. And in that location... I had to be a fake and act like I was something that I really wasn't. Where God said, I just want you to be real and authentic. So it'd be real easy to get negative and say, man, I'm not where I thought I would be. Or I can reframe it and be like, man, I'm right where God wants me to be. And there's a great story in the Bible, and it's real personal to me. And we're going to go through, and I'm going to teach you how to change your negative mindset today. And we're going to get out of here real quick because I'm hungry. This story is emotional. I, I love this story. It's about Paul and it's about the heart for God that Paul had. And Paul only wanted to serve God. And he only wanted to please God. And Paul felt a call on his life to go to Rome. Rome would have been the equivalent of our New York City. It was the place of influence. It's the place where the trends started. As it goes in New York, so goes the rest of our country, like it or not, especially culturally. Rome was that city, and Paul knew if he could just get to Rome, if he could just get to the strategic place, and he could begin to preach the gospel in Rome, he knew the influence would happen as people were one to Christ. They would go, he thought, from Rome... I can spread the gospel to the entire world. <laughs> and he talked all the time about God sending him to Rome and wanting to go to Rome and wanting to preach in Rome. But instead of being able to preach in Rome, Paul ended up in prison in Rome. On the outside looking in, that looks like the total opposite to me. God, I want to go to Rome and I want to start a church and I want to preach and I want those people to leave Rome and go out to all the world and tell others about you and from Rome, we're going to change the world. And God said, now you're going to prison. It's going to be in Rome, but you're going to prison. When Paul got in that situation, he could have framed that situation one of two ways. He could have done this. Philippians, this is... The N, put that verse up, the NWV, that's the new Winers version. It's going to be real popular amongst the group growing up. Paul could have said this, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. 
Here I am in prison. I just want to come preach the gospel. This sucks. As a result of the hell I've been through, I'm quitting church and I'll never go back. God let me down. That's how he could have framed it. And guess what? I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't think anybody would have faulted him. Not in the flesh. Had he wrote that, I'd have been like, yeah, I get it. I get it, Paul. You've been serving God. You've been sacrificing. You've been planting churches. You felt a call to Rome to go start churches, and now you're in prison in Rome. Is God just trying to mock you? That's how he could have framed it. But instead, look how he really framed it. By the way, that's not a real version of the Bible, in case anybody's wondering. He said, now I want you. Man, this is so powerful. Sitting in prison in the city he wanted to go preach. He said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He said, man, here I am in prison. And it'd be real easy for me to, to filter this and frame this with a negative mindset. As I look out through this small window and I see the bustling city, I'm thinking, man, I could be out there starting a church. Instead, I'm locked in this cell. But it's really served to advance the gospel. He said, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. I'll leave that up, Xander, because I want to break this down for you. <laughs> he said, because I'm in prison, it's become the palace guard were the elite. They were the influencer. They were the highest ranking police type officials of the day. If you go back and study how the prison would have worked there, Paul would have literally been chained to one of these guards. You talk about a captive audience. Every eight hours, a new guard would have come in and been chained to Paul. He says, as a result, it's been, it's been clear to the palace guard. You know why it was clear to the palace guard? Paul was preaching to them. Look what he says in verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and they're all the more to proclaim the gospel. He said, because I'm in prison... And I'm still preaching Jesus. Now everybody outside says, man, we have no excuse not to preach Jesus. We need to get busy preaching Jesus. He said, because I'm in pain, they're now being motivated. Think about it. He says, now I get to preach to the influencers of the palace. And it's become evident to them, I'm in chains for the wrong reason. And right about when that guy gets sick of hearing what I have to say, they take the chains off me and they chain me to another guard. And I get to look at that guard and say, hey, you know about Jesus? And eight hours after that, they chain another one to me. I look at him and say, hey. Paul, you ever heard of Jesus? And Paul began to realize, though it looks like I'm in prison and I should be upset about that, I'm going to reframe that and be like, I get to preach Jesus to the influencers. The influencers get to go out into the city and talk about what I'm doing and the word spreads quicker. We laugh about social media influencers, but it's a real thing. It really is. You can go after everybody with your marketing or you can go after the influencers, convert them and let them market to their people. It's powerful. He said, I'm preaching Jesus to the guards. He said, it's not how I wanted to be in Rome. <laughs> but I'm in Rome and the city's being changed because of it. At 28 years old and arrogant and cocky, moving to Canton, Georgia to start a church, I never said I want to be in the, in the poorest part of town at uh, 261 Marietta Road to, and live in the part of town where no one even understands me because they don't speak English, and that's where I want to preach and build and help people. Not what I said, but God said, that's where I'm going to use you. And that's where you're going to be influenced at. And we're going to advance more people. I, I, the, one of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten about this church, so we don't get many compliments. I was in a meeting one time, about 150 people. They didn't even know I was in the meeting, so they didn't say it because I was there. And they were griping about all the churches in town. 
And they made this comment. They said, if every church in this town closed down, nobody but the people who attend those churches would even notice. And someone said, unless Action Church closes down. Unless Action Church closes down. They said, if every church in town closed down, nobody but those who attended that church would even notice. Unless Action Church closed down. Because if Action Church closed down, who's going to feed people at Thanksgiving? Who's going to open the doors when it's cold? And who's going to bring that attic in and say, man, here's a group that loves you and they'll meet with you and they'll help you. Hey, you need clothes? Here's clothes for you. Hey, if Action Church closes down, the other side of that wall right there, you don't even realize it. Those nappy old curtains had someone come to me. Because sometimes we think getting hands in dirty is just awesome. It, it sometimes should be a blessing to people. There's a couple in this community starting a dance studio. They signed a lease over at the mill, I don't know, a year ago. They were meeting in a location. Their lease ran out October 31st because their building was supposed to be done November 1st. Well, with all that's going on with construction and all that's going on with everything, and they weren't able to move into that. So suddenly, this stance studio is without people. So every week, they move those curtains on Monday. And if you were to pull back those curtains, you can see there's a dance floor over there, and there's lights over there. And they meet here every week, and they, someone said, how long are you going to let them stay? I'm going to let them stay till their building's done. Because guess what? It doesn't affect us. Then someone said, how much do you charge them? I don't charge them a penny. Because I want to be a blessing to them. Because they're making an impact in the lives of young people in our community. Friday night in this building. If you'd have came in here Friday, it was about as bougie as I ever seen in this building. It looked amazing. It, it was, I was blown away. Big nonprofit in our community had a mother-son dance. They said there's always daddy-daughter dance. They had a mother-son to raise money for this organization. No church in town would let them use the building. The community center wouldn't gave them some crazy price. Someone said, you ought to ask Gary. I said, yeah, you can use the building. He said, what are you going to charge it? I said, just pay the cleanup people. We'll clean it up. I said, no, you won't. <laughs> pay the cleanup people. And they had about 300 people in here the other day. And it was a little chaotic. The kids were running around, jerking over the curtains, and Speedy had to beat one of the kids, and it got crazy. And... But here's the deal. Why would we have this big building just to be used on Sunday? Seems like such a waste. We've tried over and over and over to be a blessing to this community. Every Monday, you drive through this parking lot, and Bethesda Clinic's out there in that parking lot, set up to offering a free clinic. That's what this building allows us. That's what this church does. Make an impact in the community. But I didn't see that when I was 28. I had my own agenda for God. I had my own plan for God. I knew better than God. People ask me all the time, would you go back and change anything about trust? Nothing. Nothing. Because I love where I'm at today. And without all of that, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. It's how you frame your mindset. I haven't had the most success when it comes to marriage. So when I met Christine nine years ago, it had been really easy to be like, I'm not getting married, you crazy. No. I suck at marriage. I'm not doing that. I'm horrible at it. Instead, I reframed my mind. I ran it through a different filter. We had deep, deep discussions. Where we ever went on our first date. We talked about the consequences of our relationship didn't, and was it worth it? I could have ran it through the filter. <laughs> I'm horrible at marriage. Women are crazy. Women are crazy. Let me preface that. But um, <laughs> so are men. I didn't. That's how you filter it. Paul said, man, I'm locked in prison, and this ain't how I envisioned it. But, man, I'm going to filter it through the fact that I get to preach the gospel to the leaders, the movers, and the shakers. And the gospel's being advanced. Because I'm in prison, all these other people are checking it out. Now they're becoming confident, and they're going out and proclaiming the gospel. And as good as I think I am, I'm only one man. I could have been in Rome preaching, but now there's hundreds out preaching. 
How do you frame it? Large majority of us said, oh, it just stinks to be in here. It's horrible. Let me give you three really simple tools today. We're going to get out of here. We're good on time. Three simple tools on how to change and reframe your mind. First thing we're going to do is we're going to thank God for what didn't happen. To quote the great theologian, Garth Brooks, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. 28 years old, I lied to myself and said, I want to build this kingdom for God. I didn't. I wanted to build my kingdom. I wanted people to know who Gary was. I did it under the guise of I want them to know who God is. I'm so glad God didn't answer that prayer. I'm so glad at 45 I'm still not in that part of my life. Because you know why? Because I believe this way, everything. If I was still on that, I probably would have ended up killing myself. The pressure, the rat race, the standards, the microscope was so unbearable. And I'm a person who's never had a suicidal thought in their life. I would have imploded. You say you did implode. No, 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 no. I didn't implode. I had a speed bump. I would have imploded. Sometimes you just got to thank God for what didn't happen. As a teenager, I came home one day, set my mom and dad down. I said, I need to talk to you. I said, I screwed up. They're like, what'd you do this time? I said, well, I went to this party last night or a couple of weeks ago. And I met this girl. My dad's like, oh. And I said, one thing led to another. We ended up being together. She told me today she's pregnant. Mom's like, do what? She got real angry. She was screaming, hollering. I said, no, no, that happened. I'm lying. But I said, but I did get a D on my math report card. <laughs> Aren't you glad that didn't happen? The D don't look so bad now, does it? Didn't go over like I planned. But, uh, like, sometimes you just got to be thankful for what didn't happen. Some of y'all, even Christine's like, I never heard this story. Christine thought I was about to bring in a 30-year-old kid she didn't know about. (laughs) Has to be times in life where you thank God for what didn't happen in your life. Maybe you missed a goal at work and didn't get that bonus. But because of that, you still have a job, man, because they can afford to keep paying you. And you just got to thank God for what didn't happen. I I, I don't know what it is, but sometimes you just think about what didn't happen. You know. I'll never forget, remember the time Ashlyn got in a car wreck? My ex-wife calls me and says, Ashlyn's been in a car wreck. I don't know what we're going to do about her car. I'm going to do about it. And I'm thinking... I don't care about any of that. Is she alive? Is she okay? Thank God for what didn't happen. It could have been a lot worse. So we're going to start thanking God for what didn't happen. That person you thought you couldn't live with that, now here you are years later and you thank God they're not even part of your life. Mm, that one hit. Preach, Gary, preach. Preach. I ain't going to say that. It's horrible. Thank God for what didn't happen. That job you thought you wanted so bad, had you got that job, you might not be where you are today. I always share this story, because first of all, because it embarrasses Rick, and that's always one of my goals, and because it works. Rick Cope was going to this church, and for two years in a row, led a big motorcycle ride that raised all kinds of money for the shelter. Called a batter than hell motorcycle. I thought it was a funny name. Third year, 
Rick does some things that Rick seems to do sometimes and goes to jail. Problem was, we were about three weeks out from a motorcycle ride that we'd already advertised that I didn't know nothing about. I'll never forget on a Sunday morning I called her because she was coming to church sporadically, sporadically at that time. I said, uh, you ever done these motorcycle rides with your dad? She's like, yeah. I said, good, well, you're now in charge of this one because it's got to happen. Through that, we realized we were both going through our marriages falling apart. Our marriages were both falling, had fallen apart at the time. She began to throw the heat on me. I began to stiff arm it. You understand that, Unc. I put I stiff arm. I said, hey, well, I'm a preacher. All of a sudden, she come to church and her clothes were a little tighter. And then she threw the heat through the DMs. Let me tell you what she did. She said, I'm walking into Target. Some guy just complimented my legs. If I get kidnapped, just tell everybody I was at Target. I said, okay. I said, I'll, I'll never, I'll remember if anything ever happens between us, I won't compliment your legs. She threw that heat. She, she set that hook right here. She said, you can compliment him anytime. Next thing I knew, she had me married off. I'm thankful for what didn't happen. What didn't happen was Rick didn't lead that ride that time. He was in trouble, couldn't lead a ride, couldn't lead the county. I could have looked at it as a bad situation. Instead, man, married the love of my life. Sometimes you got to thank God for what didn't happen. Listen to this. We talked about reframing. We're going to start practicing Preframing. Preframing. That means we're going to start changing our mindset early on. I'm the king of needing to preframe. Christine, hey, we're going over to so and so's house tonight. We're going to hang out. It's going to be this, this, this. No one wants to come over for dinner. Uh uh. It's going to be horrible. I don't want to go to their house for dinner. They're going to want to talk about this, and they're going to want to talk about that. And what if they make some kind of food I don't like? And, man, I get myself so irritated before it even happens that even if it's the best night ever, I, it takes me halfway through the night to realize, crap, I'm having fun because I started with a mindset bad from the beginning. This event's going to suck. Oh, man, this event's going to be awesome. Man, we're going to have fun tonight. We got people coming over tonight for dinner. Uncle Bob's coming over. Last time Uncle Bob came over to watch a football game, he, he literally told me in the middle of the football game, if you weren't my nephew, I'd punch you in the face right now. <laughs> It'd be real easy for me, like, crap, Bob's coming over again for football. I'm going to make him mad. Instead, I'm like, I'm going to make Bob mad. It's going to be fun tonight. I'm going to have a mouth guard in case he swings. We've got to start pre-framing. Today's just going to suck. Pre-framing today's going to be awesome. Work's going to be horrible tonight. The meeting's going to be so bad. I don't like those people. And I don't like these people. Man, the meeting's going to be so good. Cause you know why I like the meeting? Because every time I go to that meeting, they bring in Chick-fil-A biscuits. We're going to think about the positive. We're going to pre-frame. We're going to start practicing thinking positive thoughts. Positive thoughts. We're going to be thankful for what didn't happen. We're going to start pre-framing, and then last I'm done, and we're going to go home. We're going to look for God's goodness in whatever the situation is. Let me tell you something. We serve a good God today. He's not just a good God when things are good. He's a good God when things are bad. He's a good God when you're in the valley He's, in a, he's a good God when the sun doesn't seem like it's going to come up. When your marriage is falling apart, he's a good God. If you lean into him during those times, it might save your marriage. If you look at the, I can't, how many times has God saved this marriage? A lot. She's difficult to live with. He's a good God. If you want to see what's wrong every single day and focus on what's wrong every single day, if you want to not like people for all the reason you come out, you can just step back and say, man, but God is good. 
Start seeing people the way God sees them. I, I, I try to work on this every time. Someone, I just don't, I'm like, man, how, how, God's good. I don't know what God's plan is for that idiot, but man, God's got a plan. And I realize people are saying the same thing about me. See, you can be a vulture or you can be a hummingbird. You know what a vulture spends its whole life doing? Flying around looking for trash. Can't tell you how many times you go back behind this building, there's a lot of trash. Okay, man, there's literally vultures back there just picking apart trash bags and everything. I ain't ever seen a hummingbird back there eating out of trash. No, man, they look for stuff that's sweet. They want to eat that, they want to drink that red liquid. I need to drink some of that red liquid. It must be good. You can be a vulture, you can be a hummingbird. I get it, man. Life's rough sometimes. But God's still on the throne. He's still God. If he's only God when it's good, then he ain't much of a God. When things are bad, we quit relying on God and start trying to fix it ourselves instead of just breathing and letting God take care of it. Cognitive reframing makes me feel fancy to say that word. God is good. In the midst of some of our darkest days in our marriage, I look back now and realize, man, God was good. Wish I could have seen it at the time. Someone out there, I can't remember who it was, they said, man, I've been fighting with God a lot. I said, I fight with God all the time. He always wins. Wish I could get the stage, I could just realize, man, God, you're good. He's good. The mind... You've got to turn those negative thoughts positive. And it takes work. Because some of you, all of us, we've been through some stuff. We've been through some stuff. And therefore, the filter we run things through normally are negative. We've got to reframe. Thank God for what didn't happen. Pre, pre-frame. Look for God's goodness. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the shutdowns. The shutdowns. I shared with you how we lost all our work during that time. But you know how good God was during that time? We went hiking yesterday. Luke went with us. It was the first time the kids went hiking in a long time. When that hit, man, we used to go hiking all the time with the kids. We'd load them up in the car and go hiking. I got to spend more time with my kids during that time. Christine quit traveling during that time. She was home all the time. We ate meals as family during that time. We watched good TV shows like Tiger King together during that time. We played board games during that time. Played Uno. Uno King, I will slap you down to some Uno. So I can look back and think about how okay, we're shut down. I'm like, man, I got all this time with my family now. Cognitive thinking. Let's pray.